Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Justin Yu from Theodore Rex and Thoroughfare Hospitality coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's a veteran of the Houston hospitality scene and the brand ambassador for a craft syrups company. Linda Salinas, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Chef Roberto Cristini has partnered with Paco Calza to open Davanti Ristorante Italiano on Wesleyan Street, right down the street from Central Market. Chef Roberto is best known for Fresco Cafe Italiano, the Greenway Plaza area restaurant where he uh, drew the attention of Guy Fieri on a widely watched episode of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Linda, let me just uh, throw it to you. Did you ever visit Chef Roberto at Fresco Cafe Italiano? Yes, I did, actually. I, I, um, I, it, it's always really interesting whenever we see someone that has gotten some, some attention. But a bigger question is, why did they close? I think that the food was really good, but it was strip center, fluorescent lighting, no real ambiance. What's going to be the biggest difference in the newest place, you know? It sounds like you've got you've got a hospitality professional uh, coming in to either to partner up. I mean, I, I always have a lot of questions about like why why didn't it work out? Because I just think that food you can't just have really great food. You know, I think we're we're in the hospitality industry, so I I like to know a little bit more about you know what's what's the next move. Yeah, no, I I mean I never heard an official explanation for why Fresco Cafe closed, but I do think that you're right that, you know, uh, Paco called Francisco Paco Calza, but, but known universally as Paco, uh, worked at Cafe Annie for a long time. And he has been the general manager of BCN uh, from the time that it opened. And he will remain in that role even when Devante opened. So, you know, this is someone who you want to talk about hospitality and service and making people feel welcome is like one of the best in the city at it. And so I think there will be a a front of house presence standards that maybe didn't exist at Fresco. Uh, And I know they're also going to sell beer and wine. Fresco was very strictly BYOB, which made it beloved among our friends who are wine lovers because they could bring whatever favorite bottle they wanted and have really incredible pasta at Fresco, but as you said, no ambiance at all, right? Like, uh, you know, it really fit that kind of, not divey in the sense of being dirty, but but divey in the sense of being kind of underrated when it was featured on the TV show. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I mean, it just, why waste money on plates and tables if you're not going to have someone run the front? So, I don't know. Uh, I'm excited to see what they have, you know, in store for them. Yeah. And this opens next week. So I I know you're always chiding me about don't talk to me until it's ready to open. Well, this is going (laughs) to open. This opens July 6th. So uh, in two weeks, we'll, or sorry, in a week, a week from uh, in a week, we'll get to, uh, we'll get to check this place out and start uh, chomping down on Chef Roberto's pasta. And, you know, sort of to the point, what the work that he did at Fresco was very delicious and very well thought of. 
And so, you know, I, I'm glad that he's back. I'm glad, you know, he took a little sabbatical. He went home to Italy to kind of rest and recharge and, you know, whatever the circumstances were with Fresco closing, I'm glad that he's back in Houston. Topic number two, Dallas-based restaurant Rise Souffle is coming back to the Houston area with a new location in the Woodlands. You may remember that Rise was at Boulevard Place above Ninfa's for about four years from 20, uh, 20, 2016 until uh, very early 2020. Not, not a pandemic-related closure, but uh, just a didn't-do-enough-business kind of closure. Linda, I know, you know, you participated in the opening of that, that Ninfa. Did you ever make your way upstairs to rise to have a souffle or two? No, I think it was just, uh, there was never anyone there. And so, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like walking into a, uh, an empty restaurant that had been empty for a while is just kind of, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a king of souffles in, in Houston, Texas, and it's, Tony's in my book. So, you know, well, that, that is certainly for, for a, a dessert souffle, chocolate, Grand Marnier, whatever. Yes. Tony's definitely the king, but rise has savory souffles. You know, they did a corn one. They did, uh, I don't know, I've, different, you know, different flavors of savory souffles. And I actually enjoyed it. I mean, I, I love a souffle. It's like such a fun, this is like the this is the weird exception to my not being an egg eater. It, apparently, if you souffle it, I'm okay with it. You just don't like the yolks. That's the problem. I think that's right. Yeah, you don't like yolk. Right, no yolk in a souffle. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm I'm not going to say would you drive to the woodlands to go to Rise because if you wouldn't, you know, walk up an escalator, then you're certainly not going to drive to the woodlands. But do you think the woodlands will be a better fit for what they do? Yes, 100%. I think that, you know, the Woodlands definitely needs more, more restaurants. Um, You know, for, for a while there, they were kind of stripped of a lot of openings. Well, you know, when Houston got a lot of them. So we're starting to see a couple of good restaurant tours diving into that. Cause I think it's, I think it's an untapped market. It also, it makes more sense because there's, so many families, festivities, you know, places to go. I think jamming another restaurant that doesn't have a place in Houston, definitely, I think the Woodlands is a perfect fit for them. No, I, I think that's right. And I just have this whole, this vision of like mom's day out, lunches, you know, stay at home mom types, uh, drop the kids off at at school or daycare or whatever, and then, you know, go out for a nice lunch. That'll, that'll keep them busy during the day. And then at night, it doesn't really strike me as a business center spot, but, but certainly, you know, date nights and then all sorts of occasions, bridal showers, bachelorettes, all that, you know, it, it definitely does have kind of a, a, you know, a female kind of demographic, right? Like anybody can eat a souffle. I'm a man. I'm saying that souffles are delicious and people should eat them, but it it does have that kind of, you know, it has a cheese card. It has a, a nice wine list. It's decorated in French antiques. You know, all of that just makes it sort of very female friendly from my perspective. And I think that it'll do very well, you know, because it'll be kind of a nice, it'll be a little nicer than than some of the other restaurants in the Woodlands. It'll, it'll sort of appeal to that demographic. And so I, I think it's a good choice for them. Yeah, for sure. 
All right. And then topic number three, Bad Astronaut Brewing Company is coming this fall to Hardy Yards, opened by Carbach veterans Chris Fall and Craig Rocky Keener. It will start off with four styles, an American IPA, a hazy IPA, a Munich Helles, and a German Pilsner. Linda, I, I have to say, like, I, I have trouble sort of keeping track of the comings and goings of breweries, but even I have noticed that there's been some turbulence recently, you know, local group brewing, uh, which is right near Bad Astronaut just got sold. Brash Brewing has new owners. The guys from Equal Parts bought it. City Acre, a little brew pub, kind of up 59 outside the loop, uh, has a new owner. So, so let me just kind of throw it to you. I mean, you're, you're kind of an old school craft beer drinker. What do you make of all these changes in the craft beer scene? And, and what, is a, what does a brewery have to do to kind of break through these days? I mean, I really think that there's been a lot of shift in the past couple of years in the, the brewery clientele people are stepping away from from drinking gluten i think you know whenever i whenever someone's like hey let's have a party or meet up at a brewery all i can think of is just screaming children everywhere um, <laughs> which i mean i'm not a breeder it's just not my game even you know even when i open up restaurants you know i haven't done it in a while a couple of years actually but you know, when you open up a restaurant nowadays, it's like the amount of beer you're ever going to sell to the off-premise or to the on-premise, aka bars and restaurants, there's literally only about two to max, maybe 8% of all total sales. So what's the clientele? What's, what's the clientele that's going to a brewery going to do? Like how much, how much are you going to actually sell? People are just pulling a little bit, a little bit more towards, you know, spirits. I think it's, I think it's interesting, you know, like I was at a brewery just a couple of days ago on actually Sunday, I went to Carbach. I didn't want to drink a beer. I had a seltzer and that was, I was pretty happy with that, but I only, yeah, I, I think that, I think that is one thing is that there's been this huge shift in the market where there was that hot minute where. Everybody was drinking craft beer and the breweries developed enough different styles. Like, Oh, if you like something lighter, we've got a Berliner Weisser or a Pilsner or whatever. And if you want something heavier, obviously the million IPAs and stouts and all that stuff, but all of a sudden everybody's drinking seltzers and it's just kind of cut. It's really, I think it's cut into interest in craft beer. Well, and I mean, and, the, and that's the thing. It's like when you're going out, to drink when you're going out to eat it's no longer just about what you're eating and drinking it's how the space is rolled out do you have bar games do you do drag brunches do you have a badass kitchen like buffalo bayou with like garage saint arnold's has a giant yard and and really good pizza or you know whatever whatever it is it's like it's no longer just okay to be a big warehouse with a couple of games. So, you know, I'd like to see what else they, they have going on. I mean, I even went, you know, honestly, like I really enjoyed the, the cider, the cider cade, yeah. uh, tons of games, crushing cider. So I don't know. I mean, I think we've all come back from this pandemic wanting to be more 
thoughtful in the time that we spend in places. We'll see what these boys have, have, have going on. Yeah. And, and I will say they have plans to have some games are going to have some arcade stuff. I mean, they, they want to keep people entertained. And, and I think that's right. I think, you know, we had Brock Wagner and, and Aaron Inkrod from St. Arnold on a couple of months ago. And Brock talked about the idea that these smaller breweries basically are like neighborhood bars that sell beer, but only the beer produced by that brewery. So, you know, if people like the beer, great. And if they can just sort of, uh, you know, if they, if there's enough sort of activities to amuse people, then, then they'll do okay. Yeah. All right, Linda, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Linda, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Amarina. This is a new fine dining Indian inspired restaurant in the Woodlands. Let me just throw it to you. I mean, we drove up there. We had this, I'm going to say we had a really good dinner, but, but I'm going to let you talk about kind of what, what were some of the things that you liked about our experience at Amarina? Well, I was really surprised. First off, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fine dining nerd. And when someone says they're fine dining, I'm like, I'm all, almost always giant eye roll when someone tells me, oh, we're going to do fine dining. It's like, fool, you don't even know what fine dining is. Okay. But I was surprised that it hit almost all great fine dining marks. The staff was very well trained. They knew every ingredient, every dish, how it was prepared, the staff that, well, the service in general was not stuffy and it wasn't forced. Nice open body service. Like just everything was really good. And the food was so beautiful. So I I was really blown away at, at the, the little details. You know, I go to a lot of places across the state a lot of restaurants, a lot of bars, a lot of resorts. And I mean, sometimes just getting lighting, getting a greeting, correct? Those things are, those things are a big deal. And you know what? And we weren't the only people that looked like they were having, that we were having, getting all of this attention. It was across the board. Everybody was getting that style of service and attention, which is admirable. I think you and I talked a little bit about you know, is it going to make it out there because it is the woodlands? You know, I know that other, we've seen a couple of place, places, you know, kind of like teeter totter in, in, in popularity out there. But I think, you know, I really think there's a place for them. I mean, it was funny to me because we, we were sitting down, we had an early dinner and there was a lot of people were, were dressed really casual, but it did, it didn't matter. You know, they, they were getting the same style of service. I know that, you know, in fine dining classically, you have to have like a jacket and so on and so forth. So they've, they're kind of relaxing um, those, you know, those marks, but um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. What did you think? I agree with sort of all of that. I mean, you know, as you said, we had an early dinner and we walked in and, you know, there's, you know, people in shorts, people in t-shirts, kind of whatever, uh, very casual, but I, I, 
I think I, you know, first of all, it's, it's summer in Texas. So it's, it's freaking hot outside. I don't have a problem with people being comfortable even in a nice restaurant, but it is, it's a very elegant room and all the little, you know, there's a tree, like there's a couple of trees that have been brought in to cover a couple of the tables. There's, you know, all this kind of decorative elements. I thought, you know, it was a Kona grill back in the day. So it doesn't, it definitely doesn't look anything like Kona grill, you know, and, and I'm kind of looking at, at, you know, my pictures from, from dinner. And, and I just think about, we had that little amused bouche, that little kind of Pontypurri style semolina puff. You know, we had the chat, which was basically, you know, kale and potatoes with a sauce, tuna tartare, charred octopus, a jackfruit samosa. You know, I had a pulled like a lamb. You had scallops. And then they sent us a, a piece of uh, Chilean sea bass, you know, plus all the breads, plus everything else. I mean, it was an impressive meal you know, with a lot of attention to detail. And, and like you said, a lot of like artful presentations and table side touches and, you know, and, and sometimes that stuff can be silly. And I mean, one of them is a non and they spray 10 year old scotch on the non, like when they serve it to you at the table. A giant I, I, eye roll. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't need, I don't need scotch flavored, you know, a, like a, it, it had like a bourbon sugar and then a the scotch spritz. Like, I, I don't need it. I don't need whiskey non, you know, but the butter chicken stuffed culture I thought was really delicious. And the, the roti that came with the lamb was fantastic and and all this stuff. So I I think there's a lot of attention to detail. I think there's high aspirations, you know, Jossie Bindra is the chef. He comes from a restaurant in Washington, DC that was very well thought of. And then he he trained at some really top hotels in India. That's kind of, that's, that's kind of the system there. Like when you're talented, you, you work in nice hotels, and, and then there's Giorgio, uh, Giorgio Ferraro, who, you know, I've known from when he was at Smith and Walensky a million years ago, and he's, he's bounced around a little bit, but you know, we're, we're drinking, like I'm drinking uh, Nebbiolo uh, with my lamb and it served at cellar temperature and it's just like oh. great vintage and it wasn't crazy money. I mean, most of the, buy the glass stuff is between 15 and 20 bucks, which is appropriate. And so I just, I think it's an impressive place. Yeah. I mean, I, I kept telling you, I was like, I think it's the best restaurant in, in the Woodlands. I mean, I've, I've been to Tris. I know that you love Tris. I know that they are very, that's a great, it's a great restaurant out there, but I think it definitely give, give you know, gives, it gives Tris a little bit of run for his run their money. I mean, it's just, it's a different experience altogether. And look, Lighting, glassware, service, man, appropriate temperature for food and beverage goes a long freaking way. I'm in. And then um, I'm really excited. They do a street food tasting that they only sit, they only have at the, like, basically, a, you know, quote unquote, tapas bar. And so it's a six course street food tasting that you can only have at this little you know, bar top. So I told one of our other co-hosts, bro, when are we going? You know, I'm going to LA this week, but told them, I was like, we got to go and check it out. And that's fun. That's fun to me. I wish, kind of wish we had one down here. I honestly, I think it's, it's like, it's like if Musafer and Kieran's had a baby. Yeah. I, I think that's right. Cause it's not, it's not super classic Indian food. I mean, like there's not 
or at least they're not not in the same way that what you would expect it to right there's no mm-hmm. you know lamb vindaloo there's no tikka masala you yeah. know he's kind of doing he's kind of taking some of those flavors and then doing his version of it but but then again like when have you ever you know when have you ever had scallops in an indian restaurant or chilean sea bass you know he's doing a ribeye uh, that we didn't try but you know they're doing a a picking style whole duck for the table Oh yeah, we saw that walk out. We saw that we saw that go past, and it's like, okay, we got to bring, we got to bring more people because two two of us that was not going to work. But yeah, you know, I I like what what Chef Jossie is doing. I'm really intrigued by it. As you said, I have a special relationship with with Tris and Austin Simmons, and so for me, that's still the best restaurant in the Woodlands because I know, you know, I know how much technique Austin brings to every dish. I know how much respect he has for ingredients, but I also but I also get like, like not just VIP treatment, but like ridiculously over the top experiences every time I go to Tris. So, but is this a, is this a destination worthy restaurant? Like, like do people who love restaurants like, like Kieran's or Musafir, like, should they be going to the Woodlands to try Amarina? Yeah. I would say yes. And yeah, if you're 100%. in the Woodlands and you're looking for an alternative, you know, because I mean, you know, there's a, there's a really popular Trulux in the Woodlands. It's like, I would much rather people go to, to Amarina for a special occasion than go to Trulux, right? Like, so, mm-hmm. and so I do think there's an opportunity for them and, and I'd be happy to come back. Awesome. All right. Linda, thank you very much. All right. Thanks so much. And I will be right back with Justin Yu. I am joined this week by the chef owner of Theodore Rex Restaurant. He is also a partner in Thoroughfare Hospitality, which is the group behind Squabble, Better Luck Tomorrow, and The Fancy, coming soon to Galveston. Justin Yu, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for doing this. I'm excited that you're here. We could cover a lot of different ground. But, you know, it occurred to me that it's been... 10 years that you opened Oxheart, the restaurant where yeah, you won right? a James Beard Award. And, and then promptly closed. Well, you stuck around <laughs> for like, you know, I, I mean, I used to joke when I was going on vacation, like, don't bother me unless Oxheart closes. And now I, yeah. now I had to figure out a new, a new joke for that, like a new. Got it. <laughs> but let me just, let me just, I, I mean, maybe just flash back, you know, 10 years ago, you know, what do you kind of remember from that time? Because it it's not that you burst on the scene out of nowhere because you had done the Just August pop-ups, you had done the Money Cat brunches, but I don't really think anything sort of prepared people for how different Oxheart was than anything that was in Houston at the time. And then by the fall, I think that was Allison Cook's first top 100 and you were the number one restaurant in Houston. Yeah, that was crazy. I, I didn't even agree with her to be real honest with you uh we were definitely finding our footing um at oxart i remember it as a very crazy time very tiring time um but definitely with staff and a group of people that i would have never wanted to do with anybody else um honestly a, a main main character in that staff was was karen Karen Mann, who was my wife at the time and i just remember just being 
so tired all the time and trying our very best to keep everything together. It's just, it's, it's crazy to me that 10 years later, we're in the same space um, with an amazing team um, that's, you know, uh, I've gone open, gone open on a couple other places um, and we're doing as well as we have. I think that uh, it hasn't been any easier, but uh, you know, I think that doing it on your own terms has been, uh, on my own terms has been uh, maybe the most rewarding part of the entire thing. Um, you know, for, for us, it's just, you know, I still to this day haven't paid for a, a sense of PR and uh, cooking the food that we want to cook, um, doing it the way that we wanted to do it, training this um, with a lot of people that still work with us day to day and uh, I'm happy and excited to still call friends. Um, and to have the success that we did for this extended period of time, it, I think it's just kind of a, you know, we're lucky. We're really, really lucky to just constantly, uh, be able to, um, be considered some, at some points in the top echelon of, of Houston dining. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not just luck, right? I mean, there's a lot of skill and thought and perseverance, frankly, that kind of goes into all that. <laughs> I mean, Maybe maybe kind of shift into into kind of the current state of of T Rex and and what it's like working with uh, Caitlin Steets. You know, it's a, it's I mean nominally it's your restaurant, but she's kind of the as the head chef. Like it's it's she's there every day. So so what's the what's the balance like between it being your restaurant and and her kitchen? Yeah, she's the chef. She's the executive chef, and that was a big move for me. I think it was something that. I'd known for years that, you know, she, she was the head chef even before we named her the head chef. She was CDC for two years. Um, and honestly, just somebody that we trusted each other um, with trying to do the right thing. Um, so with Caitlin, um, for Theodore Rex, just very specifically, I would say that the restaurant could not exist without her. Um, but then also, probably the restaurant could not exist without me too. And that's just the only one that's like that. And I think only because that is a very personal project, it has my nephew's name on it. Um, and I think that she takes with that um, both the history behind it uh, and runs with it. And I think that we, um, any dish that's on the menu, the same thing, the menu if it weren't for her. Um, but we talk about it uh, very deeply on, on, on certain levels about, you know, it's just kind of like one of those things where like you work with somebody for so long, she, she finishes my sentences in, in the way that we cook. Um, and, uh, and honestly, she has a lot more to say too. So I hope in the future, she has uh, the opportunity to start her, her own sentences uh, and not necessarily have to be there to clean up my messes. So uh, what do I do there? I don't know. I, I'm currently there for the last six weeks, six or eight weeks. I'm there two to three nights a week, uh, just depending on what the staffing needs are. Um, we're working pretty uh, fast and furious on the fancy at Hotel Lucene in Galveston. Um, and then there's a lot of day-to-day -day stuff that needs to happen. I'm um, I, uh, lucky to have, be able to have Michael O'Connor be the chef at, at Battle of Tomorrow, but I was pretty much the chef at Battle of Tomorrow for a year and a half um, after, um, as, as COVID was happening and navigating our way through that, or is still happening. Um, and I, I would just say like the one that, you know, I just, I really just call myself a partner and I really wish that, um, Mark would get more, uh, you know, credit for the immense amount of quality work that he does, but, uh, I don't have any say in the food over at Squabble. I get to be one of those people that 
just gets to go and enjoy it. Um, and, and Mark, you know, was our first, you know, any sort of management position over at Opsart. And so it was always very obvious that he was honestly a better cook than I am. Probably is still a better chef. I, I consider him to be the best chef in Houston. Um, but uh, my day to day there goes just, you know, I go, I'm coming to the meeting. We, we go through, um, we go through what is needed for the restaurant. We um, kind of see, you know, projects um, what our day-to-day operations look like over there. Um, and, you know, I get to do the fun thing over there where I just chat with Mark about food as opposed to, you know, doing anything else in the, those terms. So. Well, good. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you about better luck tomorrow. Cause Michael O'Connor has been in place for a few months now came to you from Vic and Anthony's. I mean, what, what has that been like kind of stepping back from day to day and, and ceding some control to him and working, working, with him because had you ever worked together before i know i know your careers kind of um maybe don't overlap exactly but you sort of concentric circles no we hadn't worked together uh before uh this is but we've known each other for about the better part of man 13 14 years maybe 15 years um but uh i i don't really see it as seeding control honestly i'm i'm there most at least three or four times a week um i'm at every single property, at least twice a week. Um, some of them more often than others, depending on, on what they need. Um, and so the, the one thing that I will say regarding, you know, you know, I, I was really sad about it probably about a year ago. I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not chef anymore. You know, it's like, (laughs) but I think that being the chef of one singular property would be a step backwards for, uh, growth of the company. And I think honestly, like my personal life. Um, and I think that, you know, seeing people grow into their own has been maybe the most rewarding part. And then, and, you know, this coming from a guy who, you know, was hoping to win James Beard awards and, and, uh, you know, be on lists and things like that. And, uh, that that's been the most rewarding part to see people, um, their own kitchen, uh, to work on food of their own, to be a part of that creative process and to, um, help people kind of, um, you know, reach their dreams. Yeah. I, I, I think that seems like a good kind of moment to, to start talking about thoroughfare, the company you started with Bobby Hugel. I mean, how did you kind of evolve from, you know, we're friends, we've been investors in each other's businesses. We're going to do a bar and we're going to do a bar in the Heights, right? The, the dry Creek space was too good to pass up. How did you kind of up from that into, you know, now you've got a second restaurant and, and a third on the way? Um, you know, I've been a big fan of Bobby's in, uh, for a really long time. I was a cook at a restaurant called 17 downtown and I lived right outside of downtown. And so I would uh, jump on Memorial and then I would quietly exit the Taylor Street uh, and then go see, go see Bobby at the end of, end of my shifts. So he calls me like kind of his first regular I actually didn't really drink before I really met Bobby. So I would say, I, I would say that he is the reason why I drink um, for in many different ways. Um, and we were just friends at the time. And I think that, you know, um, he saw, we saw, we were original investors, my dad and I and Karen and Anvil. Um, and we just saw the quality there. We saw like the excitement there. And I think, especially back in, in those times, I really think that Anvil, started at all for us uh it was before predating the 
2012 kind of restaurant boom. Um, and it was just like, hey, these are people just doing things that are maybe a little bit out of the ordinary, um, things that are not just, to, you know, to sell, um, doing things that they really care about. And, and I think a lot of people saw that and were like, hey, I have a huge story to tell, like, including me. I was like, I have a story that I wanted to tell. I had an idea and a vision that I wanted to present. And being able to see a place like Anvil be so well received in, in Houston, whereas everybody would always tell us, you know, like, ah, I don't know, like a tasting menu restaurant, like, I don't have any choices, like, you know, like vegetables, so like, like yeah, you're not going to put a steak on the menu. Like, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I, to me, I was just a huge fan of Bobby's um, to start. And, and honestly, Kevin, and, and the way that they're running their company at the time. Um, and so, you know, um, after he had uh, left Underbelly um, and I was kind of looking to, you know, grow my role as, as a chef uh, to be a little bit more of an overseer as opposed to just, you know, being chained to the, to the stove all the time I worked. So I would say very pretty tirelessly those previous four to five years. And uh, I wanted a better quality of life, you know, as a chef and, and to learn more about the business, to learn more about myself. And, and the reason that Bobby and I kind of got together and started chatting about it is like I was very frustrated with the way that the industry kind of spit out people, um, kind of chewed them up and spit them out. And, and I remember sitting there, we were sitting at La Guadalapana talking about possibly working together. We'd looked at a couple We you know, we were the people that were like commiserated with each other about problems with the things that we were doing like staffing issues and just like friends a little bit of just like hey let's have a cocktail and let's just chat um and we kind of learned that we had the same goals and that goal for us uh, a big time a big time was one quality through the products that we're using but then also like leaving the restaurant food and beverage industry in a better place than we found it and and i think that always is a goal for us um and has been a goal for us and he takes a much more macro view of it i'm i'm more of like a i like the little things um, but he, it's been, you know, for as outspoken as he is and for as many people that don't like his outspokenness and uh, in, on, in many ways that I, I am too, like we work really, really well together. I think that um, he, he fills in a lot of things that I, I have that are deficient at and I think it's, it's the other way around as well. So how did you kind of come to this hotel project? I mean, what was the, what was the appeal? Like, like I did. How did they find you and, and what was sort of the, yeah. what was the draw? Yeah. So uh, I don't know if I ever told this story, but the person who told me about it was Aaron Bluedorn. Um, so Aaron and the Jacobis, Dave Jacoby and uh, Robert Marcus uh, are the two other two owners uh, and managing partners in the hotel. Um, they, you know, weren't sure whether or not they wanted to do a uh, food and beverage uh, and do bring someone in from the outside. Maybe they could handle themselves. And they were just like, okay, we're just going to like talk to a couple people, see, they you know, stick our noses out there, see what's going on. And uh, apparently they chatted, chatted with Aaron. Aaron was just in the middle of opening, uh, opening up Blue Door. Um, and the, the footprint of the hotel itself is very small. And with that footprint, the footprint of the kitchen itself is very small. And uh, I believe Dave asked them like, Hey, you know, anybody who can like work into these types of things maybe in a smaller space. And I am notorious for finding the smallest space possible for, <laughs> for uh, <laughs> high volumes of food or high quality of food. Uh, and so, and Aaron had come to BLT and uh, we chatted with him lightly and we eaten at, at T-Rex. And, um, and so he suggested us and we just, 
a rule of thumb for our company is just to, you know, to always, always take those meetings. I had no intention of really trying to undertake a hotel in, in Galveston, but we had chatted with other people about possibly doing um, food and beverage work uh, for hotels. Um, and for me, I just, we always just like to take those possibilities and see what they turn themselves into. Uh, the thing that I am super excited about is like, these are very hands-on people. They're a lot like Bobby and I, you will, you'll always see us on site. Um, you, you constantly see Bobby and, and I, you know, at either one of the restaurants, or one of the bars. Um, and, uh, one pe people that we are looking to work with in the future are always wanted people who, uh, you know, put their own kind of like grime in the game. You know, you're really looking for people who will work just as hard as you will, uh, who had kind of, um, a, uh, a passion for Galveston. And I think that's what, that's what they conveyed to us. Um, and, uh, and I think that's what we wanted to do. I think that we got really excited about that, kind of talked through um, what we wanted to do, what we saw uh, and, and the possibilities in Galveston. And I just, I personally have just like a lot of really fond memories about going to Galveston as a kid. We would go, you know, do things like sometimes we'd go to like, we'd do gardens, we'd go to the beach, we'd do a lot of different things, but never stayed there very long. And, and you know, I have in my heart, like I, I just have a soft spot for hotels, especially small ones. And so I just like the, the ideas just started flowing from my brain. And, and, you know, we, we met in the middle uh, as far as like what we're looking for, or what our next step was for the company. And, and Bobby was, as I'm sure, you know, is like an avid fisherman. He likes the idea of, <laughs> of being down there. And I, I wanted to kind of explore that more too. And I think I've done a lot of work with going to Katie seafood, learning more about uh, Gulf fish, um, and I'm just very super, super passionate and really excited about this project. Yeah, you know, like you, I think I have kind of childhood memories of going to Galveston, but always as a day trip, you know, right. a couple hours on the beach, you know, maybe lunch at, at Guido's or someplace like that, and then back home, you know, never, yeah. never really spending the night. And then, you know, as an adult, you know, I've, I've stayed at the Tremont a couple of times. I kind of like that kind of like that vibe but you know i don't think of galveston really as a, as a city of like destination restaurants necessarily i mean i've got a i've got a soft spot for rudy and pacas but i'm not sure i would uh <laughs> it's kind of retro you know it's like a, I, I think mean, they're still doing the same food they were doing in 1992 yeah i mean it's a beautifully gritty town it is it is beautiful there it's there's a lot of personality there and so that's why I always want to think about it, you know, in terms like we don't want to like go in and try to like, it's not like we're going in as like, like we're going to make this town better. Like we just want to contribute to like an already really fantastic town. Um, and so what I would say with that is that, you know, there are little things that it's just like, honestly, it's a lot like Houston away. You got, you spend a little bit more time there and you see all like the really fantastic things like going to like at the end of the night and hanging out at checks, uh, going into feet, uh, which again, that the town has really great dive bars. Obviously DTO is like kind of a destination for people going down to Galveston. There's a new restaurant called La Pesca that I'm dying to try out. There's, um, there is, uh, chef Daya does, um, uh, fish company taco, which is, looks like a little shanty shack, but has some of the most beautiful food that I've seen. Um, we went to Miller's last week, which is like just kind of like a seawall, kind of just very classic institution for fried seafood. And obviously there's like Benos and Guidos and things like that, but there's just a lot to do down there. 
And there's a lot that uh, if you just peel back the layers just a little bit, um, you know, on the outside, it's kind of, it's, it, yeah, it looks like a little, you know, rough and tumble shantytown. But if you go in there a little bit, uh, like there is just so many really fantastic things out of Galveston. I, I can't wait to be a part of that and then also learn more about it, but then also um, show people the little things about Galveston that maybe they hadn't seen before. Well, and the, the Galvestonians are very proud of their city, right? Like, you know, <laughs> they are, yeah. There's that whole BOI culture that that is very skeptical of uh, outsiders. Well, we are very fortunate. So my favorite, honestly, my favorite person on the project is Dave's wife, Keith. She is BOI. And uh, she has been really, really big in kind of teaching us more about Galveston. They, they are very involved in the community over there. So that's, that's a major reason, part of the reason why we're so excited about this project. Besides being able to open a restaurant too, so so talk a little bit about the restaurant. I, I mean, you you've sort of been explicit. It's not it's not a seafood restaurant, but it will serve some seafood. And it looks like you were going to have a little bit of fun with your your interest in Houston slash Hillstone. Uh, it's never going to be Hillstone, just so you know. It's yeah. always Houston's. No one, <laughs> no one can ever, no one can ever tell me otherwise. It'll always be Houston's. I don't know um, anyone. I don't know anyone who calls it Hillstone. Like they could call, like the company could call it whatever it wants. Just like, I don't, I don't know. Like the, you know, when they changed the summit to the compact center, it's like I'm still going to call no, it the summit. Well, yeah. I mean, and now it's now it's like about <laughs> um, uh, the. I mean, it's like I think trying to find something that kind of hit both that Boron Island culture, but then also was something that I was interested in. Cooking has been a really fun kind of progress for us. Um, we, the process, not progress. Um, we uh, kind of settled on making sure that it was something that was both very comforting um, and inclusive um, while still kind of just being able to kind of push the boundaries like that we kind of like to do. So, you know, kind of framing things in a, in a framework that is uh, very exciting to us, but then also doesn't like, you know, but disallow your, you know, 60 year old grandpa or 80 year old grandpa from coming in and enjoying themselves. Um, and, and I think that's been a very different thing for, for myself, at least over the last five years, because, you know, I've been undertaking projects like Better Luck Tomorrow and, I, and that has been super, super rewarding for me. Um, and try, trying to find ways to make sure that the food is more inclusive and that um, is something that people can relate to, like being able to tell, you know, like the things I love mostly about food is like giving them an idea of what something might be, but just not presenting it in a way that they may not might not have thought of before. So a singular dish could mean a lot of different things that uh, revert back to childhood memories for a lot of different people. And that's a, we do a lot of that over at the Orex. Um, so the restaurant itself is kind of like a fine ish dining. And we use the ish because it's kind of funny like that. And as you all know, I'm fucking hilarious. Um, and, uh, is a is a place that you get to be very comfortable, just eat you know some very delicious food. Um, I'm never going to be able to compete with the seafood restaurants in Galveston. I'm I'm not I've not been born and raised cooking like that. So I'm just going to do what I do best, which is kind of a little bit more French. It's a little Frenchy. Um, the way I I love describing it is like kind of like that your your quirky aunt who never gets married. She throws dinner parties all the time. They're using the nice dining room. She is uh, she always throws that little spin in there. Um, and uh, that's what we're going to cook. I think we're going to cook things that uh, 
relate to a lot to people, but always just throw our little spin in there. Um, and a lot of that's going to have to relate to hopefully a lot of underutilized fish species in the Gulf, um, kind of still trying to push um, the bycatch uh, that we have been using for years and years uh, and still kind of grow off of that. Um, and, but, you know, it's like, it's something that you want to dress up for a little bit. Um, I think there'll be a few dishes on there that will, um, will be comforting. A few dishes that will push you outside your comfort, comfort zone. Uh, there'll be a raw bar, but no oysters on the half shell. Um, and the, so a couple of fun crudos, maybe uh, some really beautiful salads and, you know, uh, being able to talk to the farmers down there has been very different and, and eye-opening for me. So, um, you know, I, we're, we're always going to focus on quality and execution first. Um, but uh, just like having having fun with it, it's going to be a kind of like a, a loud, rambunctious place. Uh, and and I think people are really going to enjoy it. You mentioned you're, you've been talking to some of the farmers. Like, what are you what are you learning? Are there coastal ingredients that you don't typically use at, at Theodore Rex, for example, that you're looking forward to working with? I mean, there, it, it's Texas is just like kind of one big growing season. So there's not a lot of things like you can get in California, which I always kind of considered like people are like, oh, you don't cook these fun things like in California and New York. I'm just like, it, they kind of had a cheat code, you know, <laughs> you put a fig yeah. on a plate and it's absolutely delicious. We kind of have to work really hard for something, something like that. Um, so, um, yeah, there's coastal ingredients, but, you know, it's still kind of, it's, I wouldn't say run on the mill, but it's definitely like we've been talking to Casey from Moondog Farms, who actually um, runs the farmer's market down there. Um, and her, her husband does a lot of farming on Moondog. But, you know, being able to use some things from them, lettuces, you know, you know tomatoes when they're in season, beets, um, just things that they're already good at. Um, but it's just, it's fun because like every farm has like that little ism about them, right? And you, I learned that honestly, cooking in California, uh, that every little different space has that little is no that. It's more so at that point, then it's just like trying to find the thing that you want to present that maybe people wouldn't have thought about in the past um, and uh, and kind of present it in a way that they that, that is both creative, so it's satisfying for yourself, but then also delicious to them. Um, so like one thing that I always kind of go back to and something that will probably end up on the menu in some sort of way uh, is using blackfin tuna, which is uh, you can catch in the Gulf, um, but then also serving it with uh, like braised oxtail. And that is a Ryan Parrot dish. And I am totally going to take it and tell Ryan, sorry, buddy. Um, <laughs> and sorry, chef, not buddy. Sorry, chef. And uh, be able to, um, and to, because I just always thought it was just so clever, right? It, you've got something that is is comforting, but also just, it's just slightly different. Um, uh slightly different from you. And those are the things I've learned in the past. And I think that um, we, we look a lot into the histories of food and the history of food. Um, but uh, being able to kind of like spin that in a way where it always reminds you that you're still in Galveston when you're eating. All right. Let me, let me shift topics on you just a little bit. You know, we just had the, the beard awards kind of return after a, a couple of year hiatus. You're a, you're a beard award winner what do you kind of make of the current state of the awards? I, I mean, I feel like there's always a certain amount of grousing, you know, I, I think there's a lot of excitement that Alba won for Julep, but also a little bit of like, uh, it would have been nice to see Houston win best chef Texas or Hugo's win outstanding hospitality. How do you kind of feel about, about the awards in general and kind of Houston getting properly recognized? 
I mean, I think Houston itself constantly gets properly recognized. I think that you can tell by, you know, the amount of people that come from out of town to, to eat here. Um, how do I feel about the Beard Awards? I am super grateful that we, as a team, won uh, Best Chef uh, I guess four or five years ago now. Five, over five years ago now. Um, and But I guess I'm just not sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like um it's still a really important award uh i still think that you know people hopefully cook um with a lot of you know enthusiasm to maybe kind of aim for those types of things to really push themselves um to be recognized for the the work that they do um but you know i i would say maybe it's like a little less and this is coming from a guy who like i guess wanted so it's like of course i could say it now but it's like Maybe it's a little less important. I think it's important to build that community. And I think uh, that community building has been really fantastic. And, and by the way, congratulations to Alba. I mean, she's, she's done a lot of work, um, a lot, a lot of work, and uh, very happy to see someone from Houston um, win that, the first national award, especially somebody who works as hard as Alba does. Um, and just to be able to see that we're constantly growing and we're constantly seeing the stories being told. And it's just, it's, I guess the way I would, I, I'm happy about is that it just really allows for people to have a platform to stand on. And I'm really, really excited in the, where the state of Houston's food is. Um, it's weird that I'm the old guy now at 37, <laughs> but there are people like that. I'm, I am so, so jazzed for like the Neo guys opening up uh, or having their space. Um, Emmanuel from Tetsamo. Christina Al being able to like do exactly what she wants to do with her food. And then there's just like, also too, like you always look behind you and you're always look, looking for people like who are you going to be your next competitors? Um, it, you know, it, it allows for these people to, to open here, you know? So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm currently looking at like, I don't know, like burrito who is a sous chef over at Nancy's like he makes delicious bagels. He, he's going to like be, a, a big part of the Houston food scene in, in the, uh, in the future. Same thing with, uh, you know, like a guy like Juven who used to work at, at Anvil, um, and at Toasted, uh, Toasted Coconut. Like I'm excited for him one day to maybe open up a bar. Um, you know, the people who are sous chefs in, in, in the city, I think the next two or three years are going to be the most exciting, um, years, uh, in Houston. And, uh, it's interesting because then there are people coming from the outside that see the same kind of progress and see um, all these diners and are doing very well. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It, and it's gotta be gratifying to you to a certain extent to see, you know, whether it's chef G at uh, street to kitchen or will at Fang at burger Chan. I mean, people that've worked for you kind of thriving with their own concepts. Um, that's again, like part of that is just my favorite part about cooking. Um, you know, gee, I love so much and Will, Will and Diane, uh, you know, it's, it's that next step is just like, you know, I'm, if I'm done cooking in my own kitchen for myself, um, for the guests, the, the next step for me is like to being able to be a good mentor to set a good example. And again, just to leave the industry in a, in a better place than when I first found it. Um, you know, we're, we're hoping that, you know, again, we're just 
going for a an industry that doesn't like chew people up and spit them out and really just uh, helps bring them together. You know, I, I've I sort of made this observation to a mutual friend of ours recently. I mean, I don't think we talk enough about like how like sort of improbable it was that you won a beard award, you know, never having done, <laughs> never having employed a national, you know, any sort of PR person, you know, not having done like a bunch of reality TV or, or you know, all the, all the different things that people do to kind of put themselves out there. And it's just, I, I mean, you just, you made really great food. You got some media attention and you kind of got in with some like kind of sh- the right chef circles and, and it just, it all just kind of came together. You know, yeah. I mean, I think out of everybody that happened in in twelve, I'm definitely the least probable out of all of them. Uh, no, I mean, I I don't know really about it. I'm I'm really really grateful that the city of Houston took so well to us, um, and it was you know really like we were not able to. I people I would ask me for reservations like I. I can't explain to you how or why we were booked for nearly five years straight. Um, and I just feel eternally lucky that that happened. Um, but I think that kind of just shows you, like, if you just really put your mind to it, which we did and we do every single day, and it's like, you put your, your to keep on working and you try to do what you did everybody that you work with as well. And, and, maybe these things will, will work out for you. Sometimes it's a roll of dice sometimes. Um, but I'll, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So. All right. Well, I'm going to say that seems like a pretty good place to wrap this up. Um, unless, I, I mean, unless you want to do two minutes of fantasy football talk, I, I don't know. Do I have to, do I have to tell people that we played in a fantasy football <laughs> together for like the better part of 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I, that's, it's crazy too. It's like, uh, I, I look forward to it every single every single year. Uh, there is a good amount of shit talking, uh, and uh, I'm sad that I've only won it three times. So. <laughs> yeah, I I mean I won a couple of years ago and then was absolutely terrible last year. Like could really could not have gone worse. So yeah, you know, I, I had gotta, Derek Henry I gotta last regroup. year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was great the first like six or eight weeks, and then terrible after that. I couldn't keep the running back saving my life. So. But yes, it's that that league essentially exists for a small group of my friends and also my brothers-in-law to talk shit to each other <laughs> for uh, four months a year. And it and it accomplishes that goal very, very well. Yeah. All right. Well, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Justin, you, what is your favorite ingredient? Favorite ingredient. Oh man, favorite ingredient. Probably currently sure to show you, but again, that's kind of like a cheat code. It's like the white soy. It's like a really great way to introduce umami to a lot of different things. I use it a lot of different ways right now. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Ooh, that's a good one. The Bee Gees. My dad pulled me out of uh, <laughs> out of middle school. <laughs> you know, we flew to Las Vegas and uh, we saw the Bee Gees. I'm a huge Bee Gees fan. <laughs> uh, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? I would say Robert Ory. Big shot, Bob. Nice. All right. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? 
It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Uh, I don't go as much anymore. I used to go to Whataburger a lot. Uh, and so that would be a potato, egg, and cheese taquito with grilled jalapenos. Also a number uh, number one. And then I also get a uh, sausage and bob. Uh, and so it's a, that's a big night for myself when it does happen. All right. What is the recently opened Houston restaurant that you're dying to try but haven't had a chance to yet? Uh, I have not gone to the dinner at Tatamo that I had. I had to. I had it booked one time, and I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to go because I had to work, which which sucks. Because I was like, "Hey, I'm, I finally have a little bit of free time. I can go out to dinner these days on a Saturday." And I, I had to work that night, but uh, I haven't been to. But uh, Emmanuel, I'm I'm coming for you, buddy. <laughs> well, I know that he listens to this podcast, so he'll be thrilled. <laughs> uh, Justin, give us the. Social media for anything you want to plug. Sure. Squabble, yeah. BLT, T-Rex, whatever. Got it. Uh, my personal one is Tetsu Justin. Um, you'll know by uh, the little rat Gus at the Avatar um, from, from Cinderella. Uh, we have Squabble Houston, or sorry, Squabble Time, at Squabble Time. We have uh, Better Luck Tomorrow, H-O-U. For Better Luck Tomorrow, we have T-Rex Houston. Um, and... I might as well just put Anvil Houston and Refuge Cocktails also. Very good. Well, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure chat with you. All right. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. I welcome your comments and your ratings. But like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.